Pastor Charlie is uh, preaching and speaking at family camp today, so we are very blessed to have a guest speaker. Would you put your hands together and welcome Dr. Tim Johnson. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to be with you. It's uh, great to be at Point Way this morning. I um, remember historically, I've been here on some informal occasions in the past, but uh, haven't had a chance to be with you on Sunday morning. But I'm Tim Johnson, a director of the Minnesota Church Ministries Association, which uh, started out as the Minnesota Sunday School Association years ago. But we've been providing training, leadership training across the state of Minnesota uh, and in various regions and have had several conferences in the Brainerd area as well through the years, but also uh, on the continent of Africa for the last 18 years and 38 trips over there. So if you, see, if you hear a few African-style intonations that come across this morning, you'll know why. But uh, in the course of the last years, it's been great to connect with more than one of your pastors, including Pastor Charlie. These last uh, couple of years have been part of our pastors group in Brainerd, and his fellowship is always welcome, and I know you love him too. Can you say amen? amen. But uh, this morning, we are here on that great 4th of July celebration. I concur with our brother here that uh, even with the deficits that may be in America. I know as one who's traveled internationally, it is still the best country in the world. Can you say amen? In fact, every time I come back to the United States from overseas, I want to get down and, and kiss the ground because there's so much good that is here. And in the words of that great patriotic hymn, God has shed his grace on us as, as America. <clears throat> and so we celebrate that today. But you know, the 4th of July, centered right in the middle of the year, is a great jumping off. Established for, well, sometimes we establish um, New Year's resolutions. We could uh, establish 4th of July resolutions as well. I want to challenge you and me this morning from the Word uh, to do some things to reach greater spiritual growth within the next year. Uh, July 4th, 2022 is just 365 days from now, and it's a good line of demarcation on the calendar. And I want to walk with you through, I don't know if the adult Bible study will appreciate this or not, but the chapter 4 of Philippians, this is maybe a preview for you in that Bible study uh, for consideration, but there are several principles, four of them, regarding our spiritual growth and success in the coming months that I want to review with you from that text. The Apostle Paul gives us an interesting combination of principles in that last chapter. Now that chapter could really uh, be the basis for 15 or 20 uh, Sunday morning messages, but we're going to do it in a survey fashion this morning very quickly, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you and me as we look forward to the coming year of spiritual accomplishment by His grace. Four principles to share, beginning at verse 1 of Philippians 4. Paul says there, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. 
Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Ah, there's an initial principle Paul offers to us this morning. If we want to accomplish spiritual progress in our lives in the coming year, he tells us to accommodate one another. Make sure that your horizontal relationships are on an even keel. Paul had heard reports about these two women who were at each other's necks in the, in the church at Philippi, and he challenged them to become united once again. He, he called on fellow members of the body to bring them together and encourage them to work together in agreement, in agreement and be on the same page and of the same mind. And it's a reminder to us that unity is job one in the church as well as in our other relationships in life. Can you say amen to that? You know that you are dead in the water in a church if there's disunity. You're dead in the water if there is disunity and, and, disharm and a lack of harmony within families. And even in the job place, if you've got a a uh, situation where you're at odds on the job, you become ineffective and unable to move forward. So this is a plea that Paul is making initially, and it has application in all these areas of our lives uh, to make sure that we strive for, for harmony on our horizontal relationships in life. If they are unhealthy, it's very possible and probable that our relationship with God himself is not going to be healthy. Now, I would claim this morning that each one of us here has an uodia or syntyche in our lives. Somebody with which or with whom we are not quite on good terms. It may not be all-out war. It may not have come to blows yet, but there still is a deficit in our spirits because we haven't dealt with... Uh, difficulties of the past with them, and therefore uh, we are not as effective as God would want us to be. There may be feelings of hurt or abandonment or betrayal or unjust treatment that you feel you've had experienced at their hand, and yet Paul is telling us today that if we really want to accomplish a level of growth and success and spiritual achievement between now and next year, we need to make sure those interpersonal issues are resolved. Can you say amen to that? My challenge to you and to me, and I still have a few unresolved issues myself with people, is even before midnight tonight, before you put your head to the pillow after the fireworks have gone off, do something to deal with these issues. It may be simply a telephone call or, or a text even to reignite relationship with someone where it has gone cold. Uh, it may be a matter of writing a letter to apologize or to reestablish contact, something that will put your mind and your heart on a better footing for the coming 365 days. Do something to address this. You know, letting things smolder doesn't do any good. Uh, sometimes smoldering ends up uh, catching fire and burning you. But uh, just letting things sit is not going to help. If you've swept things under the rug, oftentimes all you get is a lumpy rug. You, you don't get it taken care of. It doesn't, 
get ironed out. So be bold by the grace of God and by the presence of the Spirit in you to address and confront what you can confront. I remember a couple of years ago I sat down together one of the young men from our church and uh, we had a few few times together uh, in a mentoring relationship and he told me about what was happening on his job. He's an engineer for a company in Chaska near us and uh, he said that there's a guy at work who he's confident was a, a homosexual and was making some physical advances toward him that made him feel very uncomfortable. And he said, I, I talked this over with my wife, and my wife said, you've got to report him to HR. You've got to blow the whistle on this guy because he's creating an uncomfortable work environment for you, and uh, you've got to let the boss know. And so... He was wrestling with this as to what he ought to do, and he's just about to talk to HR. And I said, well, tell me, have you talked to the guy himself about this? Have you addressed it head-on with him uh, that this is bothering you? And he said, well, no, I haven't. I thought that kind of treatment you kind of reserved for a fellow member of the body of Christ and not, not with someone who isn't. I said, well, why not? The principle still applies in human relationships in general. Go ahead and have a conversation with him. So he took my advice in the, the coming week. He knew that this guy's birthday was landing on a Friday, and he came in the office and threw a bag of candy on his desk and said, Happy birthday, but i got to talk to you. And uh, they sat down and had, uh, had a frank discussion, and the guy said, Oh, oh, sorry I came across that way. I really wasn't intending to do that. But I'm glad you talked to me. Uh, rather than HR, because I need this job. And uh, as a result of that willingness to confront it and being bold enough uh, to confront it right up front, they developed a very good working relationship from there on out, and he had confidence he was going to be able to communicate uh, the love, grace, and truth of Christ to him. Can you say amen to that? We need to be willing to boldly address these things. Sometimes the problems we have with people are not on that kind of moral basis, but it's just a matter of a difference of opinion, a difference of style, a difference of personality, and we need to learn to love and accept people. There's an old management principle that in order to get a person's strengths, you have to accept their weaknesses. Can you accept? Can you? Agree with that? <laughs> Say amen. Uh, thank God that God has accepted us with our weaknesses. And, uh, and, of course, we've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus as believers. And that gives us a, a special connection with God. But forgive. The point is this. On the horizontal level, there are many things we need to simply forgive. And in, in uh, graciousness, allow people to grow and be part of their growth, not separate ourselves from them, but actually embrace and engage people so we can contribute to their growth. Whatever path you may, see, may choose to take with people you have a problem with, deal with it. And don't let that chip away at your spirit and your effectiveness as a, a fellow member of the body. Paul, first of all, says, accommodate one another in our strengths and our weaknesses, to have uh, so sound relationships with one another at the horizontal level. 
But that's not the only thing Paul brings out in this chapter. He says, yes, accommodate one another on the horizontal level, but he also says, deal with things in the vertical level. He says also to approach the Lord. In verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, rejoice in him. Jesus is your Savior and your Lord and your provider and your companion. Don't let the circumstances of life cloud that issue. That's a fundamental rock on which you base your life. And then in that context, express spiritual qualities because of the presence of God in your life. It says there, let your gentleness be evident to all, a fruit of the Spirit. And then replace anxiety with trust in God in grateful prayer, even before you get any answers at all, with a a sense of thanksgiving that God is going to care for you. And then rest is the resulting Uh, peace of God, rest in the resulting peace of God. Peace will come to you once you have entrusted God with your needs. His recommendation to us really is that we are partners with God as we develop our spiritual walk. Uh, This is not a one-sided thing, but we work together with God. We work out our salvation by giving expression to the development of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and we trust God to care for us because we have a growing understanding of who he is and just how trustworthy he is as we walk from day to day. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. In fact, uh, sometimes uh, and, and uh, lay our needs at the foot of the cross and are quick to grab them back uh, and, and not leave them in the hands of God. I remember a couple of years ago, I sat down with a friend of mine who at the time was 77 years old and he had had some tough experiences as a, as a church staff member several years before. In fact, he was part of our organization earlier on, but he had served a good 11 years in one of the big box churches in Minneapolis and uh, served as a Christian education director. And then a new pastor came in, and he went to the mountaintop to get the vision for the future. And he came down off the mountain, and he said, Brother... As I look at the future of this place, I don't see that you are in it. Uh, sorry, we appreciate your work, but you're not part of the future of this place. Well, initially he felt that was kind of a slap in the face after 11 years of faithful service, and it probably was, but uh, he said that didn't make me give up. I decided to retool, and I went back to seminary and got a, an MDiv degree, and I had a new vision for the future. The Lord planted in my heart the dream of being the pastor of a multiple staff church somewhere in the country. And I was going to, uh, going to realize this by his grace. Well, he retooled, got his education prepared, sent his resume out all over the place, and nobody wanted him. He was not uh, called to any church to be the lead pastor in a multiple staff situation. And he said, you know something? That's something that's the first thing I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven someday. How could you put that 
vision and that desire, that dream in my heart, and then not allow me to realize it. And many times I've set it at the foot of the cross, but I'm really quick to grab it back because I think I've been cheated along the way. And I sat there and I thought, you know, brother, you're 77 years old, and you're not going to be the lead pastor in a multiple staff church. You've got to come to peace with this and come to grips with it. But he's a great illustration of how we lose the peace of God when we don't trust God with that which is, uh, is our need or our dream or our desire. Can you say amen to that? Oh, we're, we're happy to go through the motions of prayer, and yet we still want to hold on to that as our project to, to pursue and by our, in our own strength and our own ingenuity somehow bring it about. But uh, we need to release this to God and let the chips fall where they may. Otherwise, we will be uh, in agony just as this brother was for the rest of our lives. You know, the promise there is not that you're going to get everything you pray for, but rather the promise is when you pray in, in grateful trust in God, you get peace. You get uh, the sense that, okay, regardless of what you do, God, I know that you're a trustworthy source of everything that is good in my life, and I'm going to rest in whatever you provide by your grace. Can you say amen to that? Oh, I'm praying that God will give you better, a greater sense of that in the coming year. And uh, that grace that can let you leave it at the foot of the cross instead of holding on to your desires along the way. That attitude of heart is something that um, develops as you commit yourself to the disciplines of grace, which you already have by evidence of your presence here this morning. On a beautiful 4th of July Sunday, there's a million and one other places you could be in the state of Minnesota. Is that not right? You've chosen, however, to be with the people of God, and you've set the worship of God as a priority in your life, and the study of the Word of God as a priority in your life, and connection with the body of Christ as a priority, and that tends to keep you on track as you go forward. So I commend you this morning. If you're here on July 4th, you're probably here almost every other Sunday. Can you say amen? And you're benefiting from the ministry that's taking place right here in this church, and it's keeping you on track so that your relationship with God in the vertical sense is developing. And that will stand you in good stead. The Word of God comes to you regularly through this ministry, and we know, as the Apostle Paul told Timothy long ago, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God might be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And your relationship, understanding who God is and trusting Him with every aspect of your life will grow as you continue to gather here. Can you say amen? Can you shout hallelujah? hallelujah. Amen. You're sounding like good Sienna mayors here. A.B. Simpson would be proud of you. Uh, second point is approach the Lord. Third, however, is there implications then practically how you are to live your life so Paul calls us in this chapter to act and think appropriately. 
uh, in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul, first of all, tells us to purify your thinking. Elsewhere in Scripture, we're told, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what you fill your head with will direct your behavior and determine your attitude. So develop a balance of good influences in your heart. If you're watching television 12 hours a day, rethink that schedule. If you're clicking around to destructive websites, knock it off. If you're consumed with either Fox News or MSNBC or any number of other exposures to the news of the day so that your, your spirit is chipped away at, find a balance in all of that. Limit it. And make sure that the Word of God is part of that mix. I have a colleague named Nat Miller, and he's a librarian that I met on a plane between Liberia and Ghana several years ago, and he now is located in Philadelphia and has got the title associate director of our association. But he is a great man. In fact, uh, he's a better man than I am, really. He's, uh, he's a great preacher, a great teacher, a great trainer, great networker. He's a man of prayer. He's a better husband and father than I am. <laughs> he's all those things. Uh, and probably the, the heir apparent in our organization, too, for that matter. But one thing I love about him is that he has a constant inflow of the Word of God in his consciousness. When I call him on the phone, I can hear on another device in the background those beautiful tones of Alexander Scorby, the great uh, dramatist and narrator, reading the King James uh, Version of the Bible in the background. He constantly has the Bible running in his consciousness, even as he's doing his daily work. And he says, uh, Bishop, he calls me Bishop because everyone calls me Bishop in Africa. My own denomination doesn't call me Bishop, but he said, Bishop, you got to realize, I need that to keep myself grounded uh, to keep myself on track. And because of the presence of the Word of God, I'm able to carry on in a way that honors God and gets my work done. You know, that's a spirit we all need to grab. Whatever it takes to keep the Word of God central and continually flowing in our minds and consciousness. I don't know if you need to have it playing 24-7 necessarily. However, it's something that is important for us. It's got to be part of the mix. But on the other hand, let me say this. All of life is not a Bible conference. Uh, there are many good things that are wholesome that Paul is referring to here that we also should embrace. There's music and there's books and there's travel and experiences and relationships that can uh, be great blessings to us and they're given to us by God out of his goodness. And they also can have a positive and proper influence. So we should embrace all of life that God has given to us as a gift. Can you say amen? amen. Pure act, your thinking. Center your attention on good things. But secondly, we are to act appropriately as well. Certainly guided by the scripture, but also aided by the positive examples of, of others around us. And Paul gives himself as an example of a mentor who is, who is worth following. 
he says there, whatever you've heard and learned and received from me or seen in me, put into practice. And uh, that's a challenge for us in our relationships to make sure that we have those kinds of connections ourselves. I'm grateful for the fact that uh, in my own experience, I have my own biological father who was a pastor in the Evangelical Free Church, which, of which I'm a part, who from the time I was a little kid said, you know, when we brought you home from the hospital, I said to myself, I'm going to have a special relationship with that little boy. And he really did. He kind of, uh, I had a better relationship with him than any of my other siblings did. Uh, and he was a blessing to me, and I, I know I was to him too, but uh, I'm grateful that I had a father. In, in a world filled with fatherlessness, having a biological father was a great blessing. And then uh, there's been some spiritual mentors along the way. Pastor Gene Follis, who got me into ministry down at Central Free Church in Minneapolis back in 1980, uh, brought me on staff with him. It was a great source of encouragement and direction. And I'm having lunch with him tomorrow over in Menominee, Wisconsin. He's now, uh, what is he? He's eight, exactly 18 years older than I am. So that would make him 84 uh, these days. Uh, but he's become a lifelong friend and a great source of encouragement. And then uh, Lowell Carlson, the lay leader at Central Free Church. When I landed there at age 23, he was 67 years old, recently uh, retired executive with Cloverleaf Dairy, and uh, he had been a leader in the church, been, been a charter member. He knew where all the bodies were buried in the, uh, in the organization's history. And he was a great friend and mentor for 30 years. He died at age 97 uh, after 30 years of friendship with me. Uh, it, it finally did him in. But uh, he, he was a great encouragement all through those years as a layman in the church. Uh, he didn't have any special training as a mentor. He uh, just took it on as his, as his uh, ministry to me. And what I'm telling you today is that you can become that source of encouragement to somebody else, have in the church or beyond the church, within your family systems. And we really all need to have older people that can become examples and encouragements to us, and then younger people, which we can encourage. Can you say amen to that? And we can be a source that maybe nobody else can be when we really intentionally seek people out. A few years ago, I was at, um, up in Duluth, and my mother-in-law said, you got to go down to Yonkers Department Store. There's a sale to end all sales. You'll, you'll enjoy it. They're 90% off on things in the men's department. And I said, okay. So I, I went down there and got into the men's department. I noticed a couple of guys, a white guy and a black guy, who were walking around. And I could detect in the voice of the black guy that he had a foreign accent. And so I was just following just far enough away that I could hear his voice, and I was wondering, which country is this guy from anyway? Not trying to be too obvious. And finally he went up to pay for something, and I uh, approached him. I said, sir, I just have to ask you, what country are you from? He said, well, if you must know, I'm from Nigeria. And I said, oh, Nigeria, that's my home away from home. He said, really? And I said, yeah, I've been there 20-something times at the time, and he said, really? 
I said, are you free for lunch tomorrow? And he said, yeah, I think so. So we met up for lunch, and then I heard more fully his story. And he had just finished a, a nursing program, was about to get his RN, but his student visa was running out. He's running into trouble with immigration, was on the verge of being deported back to Nigeria. On top of that, he'd run up over $10,000 in credit card debt in the process of being here. And he says, I just toss these things over in my mind at night. I lay in bed and I just ask the Lord, why don't you just call me home? And I said, Joe, don't talk this way. This guy was, at the time, a 33-year-old man, but one of the best Bible students and scholars I had ever met. As we sat there and talked over a couple of hours and lunch, he was interweaving allusions in the Old Testament to personalities and events that I was not even aware of. He, he knew his Bible better than I. And I told him, you know, Joe, you're going to make a great teacher in the church. And he said, well, I don't fancy myself as a teacher. I'm more of a worship leader. And I said, well, God bless you. You've got more than one talent. But don't be discouraged at this point. You just hang in there, and you're going to get the legal problems taken care of, and you're going to, you're going to have a bright future because you're a very sharp guy. And he said, well, thank you, Bishop. And uh, we stuck together, visited him a few times, uh, would meet him to encourage him and, and have prayer along the way. And, and uh, long story short is all those things did melt away. He found the woman of his dreams, and they now have been married for however many years, but they have four kids and, and are on their second house in Duluth uh, that they've purchased and living the American dream. And uh, he is a teacher in the church and a worship leader as well at uh, Bayside Baptist in Superior. And on the job, in his secular nursing job, he is the one, anybody who comes in with a psychological problem and he's bringing emotional issue, they'll say, go get Nurse Joe. He needs to talk to this person. And he's bringing his Christian understanding and his sensitivity and the presence of the Spirit right into a secular workplace and having great impact. And um, many times in talking to him, he'll say, you know, Bishop, I don't know where I'd be today without you because you met me at my lowest point and you gave me a word of encouragement and hope and I've been, been doing better ever since. I thank God for that opportunity, but I want to tell you those opportunities are available every day to you as you run into people who seem to be incidental or accidental uh, meeting on the street or in the community. God has placed them there for a special purpose. And if you can seize the moment to give a word of encouragement and hope, and uplift in their life, you never know the impact you might have long-term if you are aiming to be a mentor. Can you say amen? amen? Paul's telling us as we go out, live your life in a way that honors God, but also recognize you can have impact in others as you mentor them along the way. Act and think appropriately. And then finally, Paul gives you a good word of encouragement and that is to anticipate his blessing. Now, certainly you can anticipate spiritual blessing, but I'm going to go so far as to say that you should anticipate financial and material blessing as well. Now, 
that's a word I offer with caution because over in Africa, we run up against the prosperity gospel all the time, and we're preaching and teaching and training against that to recognize that your spirituality is not measured by how much money you have in the bank. Can you say amen to that? And not too many in this room. I, I, well, I shouldn't be guessing about your financial capability, but uh, you may be just as poor as I am, and uh, I'm not trusting on how much money I have. <laughs> and you shouldn't either. However, there is a promise here that Paul gives by his own experience that should give you encouragement even as you face the financial challenges of the future. And we'll just rush through this section and then draw some principles. Uh, he says in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or as good of you. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet I was, it was good of you to share in, your, in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only." For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? Oh, Paul's testimony gives us some encouragement here. We may be tempted to worry about future provision. We may be fretting over unemployment or underemployment. We can wonder how in the world am I going to be able to retire. However, last month I got my first social security payment. So I have hope. But Paul tells us anything that we face can be faced with these attitudes. First of all, gratitude for what others had done for him. Second, contentment regardless of the state in which he found himself, fueled by the strength of Christ in him. And then confidence that God will provide for us even as we are generous in meeting the needs of others. We need to take all of those lessons to heart. For us, we need to thank God for those who have provided for us in the past. Every one of us here has parents and grandparents and employers and friends who've given us jobs and loaned us money and let us live in their basements and assisted in various ways. All of these are gifts from God in the web of relationships that have been provided in our lives. Can you say amen to that? Attitude of gratitude. He also uh, Christ can give us inner strength to be content. As Paul said elsewhere, godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a lot of voices raised these days to make us discontent with what we have. Most, that's the thrust of most advertising, is that you've got to have the new cell phone. You've got to have uh, the new app, uh, one way or the other. You've got to have the new car. You've got to upgrade in your housing, and all these things to produce discontent. 
But I ask you honestly, if by July 4th, 2022, I did not possess a single new piece of clothing or car or house or boat or share of stock or piece of property that I possess today, would life be any worse for me? The answer is no. Jesus made it clear, a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Things tend to possess us, so we become captive by them. We have to make space for them. We need to clean and maintain them. We need to pay for licenses and taxes on them. We have to make time to show them off to our friends. It all takes time and energy and money just to keep an expanding holding of things. But Jesus' word is clear to us. Our substance as human beings does not rest in what we possess. So, let's pray that in the coming 365 days, we would have new levels of contentment in our lives as well. Can you say amen? amen. Finally, we're reassured uh, in our hearts that uh, God will supply all our needs. And what Paul was reassuring the generous Philippians here is that in response to their generosity to him, they would have that resupplied to them and their needs would be met. That should be an encouragement to all of us in our giving to the church. We should be generous in the giving of our gifts to the work of God, just as the Philippians gave to the ministry of Paul. But we should generally accept the fact and embrace it and rejoice in it today that God's going to take care of you one way or the other. There's no, you know, even in organizations this, this takes place. We had a challenge in a changing number of income streams in our organization changed dramatically over the last 25 years, and uh, it, was, it was tough, so much so that things dried up in, in several directions, and I had to take on different consultations and part-time associate positions in some places, and still we were, we were racking up debt, operational debt, to over $100,000 at one point. And, uh, you know, boards of directors hates, hate to deal with debt. Debt retirement is one of the most unexciting things to engineer. Can you say amen? <laughs> so we prayed, and nobody had any bright ideas until I finally came up with an idea by the grace of God. And that was to borrow money from friends of the association, promising them 5% interest on the money over a five-year term. And within five years, we paid off $100,000 of debt. And you can say amen. You can even say attaboy, Tim. <laughs> but you see, God gave us the creative idea. God's going to give you some creative ideas on how to deal with... By the way, you should have turned off your cell phones. God's going to give you a creative idea or two on, on how to handle the challenges that lie ahead for you. Um, you know, there's a, there's a range in any group, a range of financial situations, and uh, thank God you don't have to produce your 1040 form uh, for membership in a local church. Can you say amen to that? 
we don't need to disclose that. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. And yet uh, today, as I look out in the parking lot, most of you arrived in respectable automobiles. In fact, most of you probably had something that outstripped the 2006 uh, Chevy Impala that I drove up here today. Uh, you're you're well-dressed, well-groomed individuals. You've had adequate income. That's my Nigerian director who's trying to call me, and he's not calculating in his head the fact that I'm in church right now. Uh, you're making it okay. God has been good to you. Your testimony... Uh, would be that God has provided for you in many ways, but the Apostle Paul in his testimony this morning reassures us that as, as we move forward that God is going to meet your needs. He'll make sure that you get actually what you need. It may not be enough to impress a materialistic, onlooking general public. It may not be somehow what you think you deserve after several decades of hard work it may not put you in the one, top 1% 1 of the population, but your needs will be supplied. God is not going to let you go hungry. God is not going to let you wander the streets. God is not going to let you go unclothed. We can anticipate his blessings in the coming year through a combination of gratitude for the web of relationships that's positioned us for the blessing, contentment in any given situation, and provision of our real needs. And so, my friends, I invite you to a new adventure this morning. It's the next 365 days until Independence Day 2022. And I want you to enter into that with a fresh perspective on what spiritual success will look like for you. As you heal your relationships with fellow human beings, as you grow your relationships with God in Christ, as you strengthen your expression as a Christian disciple in your thoughts and actions, and as you confidently anticipate God's blessing and provision for you. If these ingredients are present and growing in your life and mine, we can anticipate the greatest 365-day period of our lives in the coming year as we have impact both with God and with our fellow human beings. It shall be so. It shall be power. It shall be so by God's grace and power. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the challenge and encouragement of your word. Help to seal it to our hearts. Help us to be faithful in applying it by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.